You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 130. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jalan Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey son, hey son! Who is this guy who's talking and what kind of language is that? Oh, yeah, 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 that's the guy we used to have in the beginning of the series, yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Welcome back, Andras. We've missed you. Uh, yeah, likewise. Yeah. It's just, I could almost make it. It was really this close. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't, unfortunately. And I'm, I'm really sorry. I apologize to both of you and to our listeners as well. Although I don't think it's such a bad thing for our listeners to to have a rest from my voice from time to time, <laughs> but uh, probably even even does some good to you too. But never mind. <laughs> Not right. that lucky this time. Yeah, yeah. So how have you been? Yeah, we've been fine, I think. Uh, but but you were up to some interesting stuff. Or is it too early to talk about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, where I was on the day of our recording uh, is um, the first shooting of a video series that we we are doing with the Hungarian Skeptic Society. And that is actually probably my first ever paid job as a skeptic. Yay, finally! (laughs) Yeah, it's not that big a thing and it's not very well paid still and uh, I'm part-time employed by the Hungarian Office for um, Education, Research and Development and they asked us, the Hungarian Skeptic Society, to produce a video series that can be used as uh, some kind of a side material for uh, educational stuff like uh, books and textbooks and uh, it's going to be online it's not going to be uploaded to youtube or anything but it's it has the potential to reach every single student in the country so uh great i think it's a good excuse for 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 missing an episode so well done andras yeah it was not all because of the recording so if if i want to be completely honest but Mm. uh yeah after after the recording i had something else to attend to but uh yeah that was what we did that day and it was really awesome and i'm really looking forward to the next time that we're shooting great uh, now we are in the in the production period for uh, for several. It's it, it's going to be an eighteen a series of eighteen different videos, different topics for each video. Good, yeah, great, Sound, all right, sounds great. Can't wait. I have some extracurricular activities as well to report on. There will be a science festival for uh, children and young adults in in Malmo mm-hmm. on the seventeenth to twentieth uh, of July. And I will be there and help out. I will uh, give a a speech uh, seven times over four days. Wow! And we will have also the Swedish skeptics will have a a little booth where we will uh, talk about what we do and and hand out T-shirts and and, and stuff like that. So really that's, cool. That's way to go. Fine. I, I'm not getting paid though, <laughs> but it's good. It's fun. It's going to be great. Brilliant. Yeah. And I'm going to do nothing. Oh, good for you. Good. Maybe you can come and help. We need some volunteers and uh, to man the 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 booth and stuff and uh, and actually all in all seriousness if you 
live in or around Malmo and you want to come and help out, you, you're more than welcome to, to do so. Just contact me and we will figure something out. Hmm. Yeah, pres- presumably Swedish language is essential. Nah, well, it helps. I would really take him up on that offer, Yelena, if I were you. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, learning Swedish it cannot be that difficult, can it? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, one other thing, recent development. Uh-huh. I have booked my tickets to Edinburgh. Oh, good. Edinburgh. Yes, you, did you mention? So, uh, yeah. I am definitely going. Great. And we'll give a talk on uh, the sceptical aspect of tourism and how uh, tourism is responsible for spreading fake news and lies. And that's your normal day job, isn't it? Yeah, it so is, yeah. Now we know where we have you. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it is. I think it's it's not spreading per se, it's just jumping on a bandwagon of what's, what's available and saying, oh, look. Well, it depends. It depends. I'll try to uh, come up with a couple of examples uh, when it actually does happen, that it's spreading outright lies. Um, just for the sake of it, just just for being entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And for the sake of entertainment, factualness uh, can be put to rest. Yeah. But for the listeners, I think uh, it's safe to assume that the Edinburgh skeptics will record this talk, right? I think they will, but mainly for um, as at least that's what the the, the legal documentation says that um, it will be used for the purposes of the Edinburgh Skeptics podcast. Yeah, yeah, sure, but but people can tune into that. Yeah, probably. Good. Yeah. All right. All right. We are now here to provide our listeners uh, with an actual show. So uh, why don't we start doing that? It's been a long time since I last (laughs) did the recording of the show, so I have no idea what I'm doing. We'll help you. But if memory serves, what's next is Yelena and uh, shedding some light on something that happened this week in Skepticism. Today, I want to talk about something that happened on the 14th of July back in 1933. And it was a sterilization law that was passed in Nazi Germany known as Gesetz zur Verhutung erbrkanen Naschwuschesses. That can't be good news for anyone. <laughs> anyway, law, it, and it translates as law for the prevention of genetically diseased offspring. Oh shit, that doesn't um, sound good at all. No, no, no. Well, it wasn't. It, it doesn't, and it wasn't. Oof. And uh, it, it, well, it was what it, what it says on a tin. Um, and any German, the thing was that it was applied to everybody who lived in the country at the time. It wasn't they weren't trying to sterilize people from outside. So any German was targeted if they were found to be suffering from a range of uh, perceived hereditary ailments. For example, it could be a mental deficiency, schizophrenia, manic depressive insanity, epilepsy, uh, Huntington's, chorea, blindness, deafness, any severe deformity, or even alcoholism. What was was being Jewish one one uh, s- such well, thing? Well, that came later, no. probably. It probably. became yeah, it became yeah. so Jesus after a while. Yeah. And also, and also, it wasn't quite the prevention of genetically diseased, diseased offspring. That was just a complete annihilation. So that was different, um, taken the next level, I guess. But. Um, Mm-hmm. This law ultimately led to an estimate of 400,000 people uh, being involuntarily sterilized in pursuit uh, of this goal of purifying the, the race um, uh, to eliminate handicapped descendants. The thing about this 
I was going to say the problem with this law. There are many problems. <laughs> there are a lot. I've seen a few already. Yeah. Many, amongst many other problems. But uh, what happened was the creationists um, um, laming the blame of this law on Charles Darwin out of all exactly. people. Mm-hmm. Um, which was probably convenient. You mean back then? Yes, yeah. When okay. you know, when when the law wasn't in place. Oh well, sorry. I, I, I'm th- I'm assuming retrospectively. Sorry. Um, and they insist uh, now. They insist that 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 um, his materialist argument that humans evolved from animals and, and his conception of natural selection inspired the Nazis to implement a widespread policy of this uh, artificial selection. But, but of course, this claim doesn't have any base in reality. And um, in fact, Darwin was known uh, in uh, specifically condemning any policies that would neglect the weak and the helpless. And um, there is no truth to this claim. And the main connection that all these um, authors uh, make between Darwinism and eugenics is that Francis Galton, an early proponent of eugenics, was apparently Darwin's cousin, um, and that Ernst Haeckel, that's another person who they connect to this, uh, as a German biologist who championed evolution and maintained a long correspondence with um, English naturalists, was a primary source for Nazi Nazi eugenic policies. And from my perspective, I think it's easy enough to take a scientific theory and adopt it to your to fit your own means and purposes and and this is exactly what happened in nazi germany when they they justified these policies and these horrible laws by and justified it by scientific discoveries and uh, in this instance the um darwin's uh, evolution poor darwin couldn't defend himself obviously because he was dead um but there has been a lot of defense um on on his part after the fact and um i'm certainly uh on the side of darwin (laughs) and um you you can make any theory fit to your purpose um and uh, luckily this law is no longer in force it uh, obviously should have never been enforced but um just something to uh, bring up and, and to, not not a very jolly occasion i guess um but it's something that uh, happened and we need to remember that and and that's a really good lesson for for us going forward as well to not be trapped by by this kind of um, rhetoric in the future. Yeah, but it's it's easy to to feel that oh, this was Nazi Germany and this was horrible. But of course, they were horrible monsters in 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 Germany at the time. But uh, this happened in many countries. Yeah. Yes, that's right. They they, they it happened in America. It start, in fact, they started. Uh, they based it on on the eugenics law that's already existed in America and California, I believe. Yeah, and in, in, I would, what I wanted to say was that in Sweden, we had uh, forced sterilization of different kinds of groups of people all the way into the seventies. Yeah. Tens of thousands of people in Sweden uh, were uh, sterilized against their will. And this was, you know, people with mental health problems uh, and other kinds of diseases. Yeah, I believe the incarcerated population often was subject to this as well. Um, It was easier to control. You know, it's an interesting question, though. I I heard you mention the, the word eugenics. But I think it would make sense uh, for us to define that what, what that was. Yeah, so it's a set of beliefs and practices that aims at improving the genetic quantity of human population. And one of the 
ways of doing that is pre- preventing a certain set of people to procreate because they have a certain qualities that then are not desirable yeah. and basically made the best kind of people together to produce the the strongest the fittest the smartest the most beautiful offsprings yeah yeah you guys are familiar with the darwin awards right yes yes oh yeah of course yeah. basically if we we look into this then uh, really it is an eugenics kind of way of approach. Uh, yeah, well, well, so when... Uh, Because you say that, yeah, you're improving the gene pool of humanity well by g- reading, yeah, reading well. it of, of your own genes um, <laughs> in a stupid <laughs> it's, way. But, yeah, it's, a, <laughs> yeah. It's, um, taken, it's taken somewhat of a sarcastic yeah. you know, tone, the Darwin Award. But um, what I, I do think about this is is a bit more complicated than that. Um, it's far from, from me saying that uh, eugenics is the way to go. But uh, one of my uh, probably most influential reads uh, of all time was uh, a very well-known Hungarian, a well-known in Hungary, Hungarian geneticist who helped a lot of families... Um, Uh, have kids by giving them the right advice and uh, the fertility clinics uh, were sprung up on uh, his, his work. But he wrote a book titled The Dilemmas of a Geneticist. Mm-hmm. And uh, he mentions a couple of uh, problems with uh, allowing mentally ill people to procreate. Mm-hmm. Because the problem is that a mentally ill person can still have the drive to have sexual intercourse. And some of the the issues that result in mental illnesses are genetic in origin. Mm-hmm. So if that happens, that means that we are recreating the problem. Mm-hmm. But my problem with this and his problem with that was that where do you draw the line? And how do you decide and who is to decide who can and who can cannot procreate so that is a very difficult ethical dilemma yeah yeah and of course and you say the problem you have to decide if it is a problem there's a lot of questions to have to be resolved yes of course well i think andrus is implying that it is a, pl- a problem though uh, no i'm not sure about that yeah. it definitely is something to look into because society has to deal with that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so in nature and this is this is where social darwinism uh, really emerged mostly by people though the work of people like uh, francis galton mm-hmm. but uh, but so how it emerged is that they said in human society the force of nature is not there to make the selection no and and but that may not be a problem i know you know Yeah. And, and I agree with that. Yeah. But but I'm just trying to shed some uh, light yeah. on the fact that it's it's not black or white. So it's 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 a legit probably a legitimate question to ask whether it's a problem and whether it's something to deal with. And if we want to deal with it, how do we want to deal with it? Of mm. course, well, yeah. I'm not advocating for accepting the solution or so-called solution that the Nazi Germany came up with. <laughs> the final solution. <laughs> Thank God, I yeah. was worried there for a while. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I, th- I think uh, it's an interesting predicament we find ourselves as a human, evolved 
human species that live in a society with a, an amazing healthcare and all the other social yeah. constructs yeah. where the natural selection doesn't come into it anymore. So we took ourselves out of this process of, you know, the, the strongest survives. So everybody survives in the human population, the strongest, the, the weakest, everybody. And so, yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have, a problem to think about. How do we but it can still it? it can still be argued that uh, that could be part of the the selection process. So I mean, selection could be viewed from a, a wider angle, and not just in the sense that we use it for natural selection out in nature. So it could it could be a much more complex system of selective forces. But yeah, so. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question, and uh, thank you very much, Yelena. All right, pleasure. Let's turn our sceptical hands towards a lot of news items that we have for this week Woo-hoo. to share with our listeners. Okay, and I there is something I'd like to get out of uh, get out of the way, but it's really important that we mention this. Um, you probably remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you about uh, the situation with the Hungarian Academy of Sciences and how the government is attacking them. Mm-hmm. So there has been uh, proposed that there have been two laws proposed for next year. Uh, one of them is called the law on the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. The other one is uh, the budget of 2019, the proposed budget. I mean, and um, well, the two combined would affect would have an effect of uh, the Hungarian Academy of Sciences losing half of their budget. That means that some of the research institutions that the, the now uh, controlled by the Hungarian uh, Academy of Sciences would lose their control um, both financially and academically to the newly established um, uh, ministry, the Ministry for um, Innovation and Technology. But this did not pass without getting noticed by other academies outside of Hungary. So much so that there is uh, this body called All European Academies, all EA, that sent an open letter to the minister, newly appointed minister of uh, the Ministry of uh, Innovation and Technology, asking to drop that proposed amendment to the law of uh, the Hungarian Academy of Sciences and the 2019 budget, because it would hinder uh, the natural development of science and it would sacrifice the freedom of uh, scientific research that is a basic necessity to to do proper science and it goes on uh, it it's been signed by uh, the all the academies and it's been joined by a lot of different academies across Europe so now it's an international issue that has emerged uh, and there's more to this, because Nature, a couple of days ago, issued an editorial. The magazine. Uh, yeah, Nature, the yeah. the magazine, yeah, the, the one of the, probably one of the, ma- the magazine, scientific magazines of the greatest esteem. They published an editorial with the title of Worrying Changes in Hungary, and they list a couple of very interesting things that were uh, missed by a lot of academics across Europe, I believe. Uh, So this step 
that the government made recently is not without any pre- previous indications. For example, there was this uh, um, office called the National Research Development and Innovation Office that was led by Jordan Palinkas, who used to be the president of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. And now he's dismissed because I don't think he was compliant enough mm-hmm. uh, because what he was really taking care of is that good science can stay in its own place. And uh, now the minister, Laszlo Polkovic, uh, has had um, a, a cl- bit of a clash with him. And the other thing that happened not too long ago was um, the legislation against this uh, university called the Central European University. And I believe uh, the, the recent developments have something to do with that because the Hungarian Academy of Sciences supported uh, Central European University when they spoke up against uh, the hung- the government's legislation that uh, made it in- basically impossible for this university this very important social science research hub in central europe to to operate and uh, well that was uh, founded in 1991 by the way by george soros so it's really all interconnected that's what i'm saying and uh, it's it has stirred up a bit of a controversy all across europe and internationally so there is something to look into in in the coming weeks and months because um you know, we we have to be on alert because of this the freedom of research of scientific research is at stake in hungary which is uh, which has not been so for more than 25 years since the political changes in ni- in the 1990s the beginning of the 1990s so it's really a terrible step uh, into the future wow okay i brought down the, the mood sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and i can Yeah, I'm sorry. I will probably bring down the mood even more because uh, as listeners to the show know, we we uh, want to keep track of the measles epidemic in Europe and it's uh, it's really not getting any better. So we this is I'm trying to I will try to shortly go through the latest news from certain number of uh, important countries where where this is a problem and we can start with Ukraine because we know that that's uh, where currently it's worse than anywhere else they are now at the level about 1400 new cases every week and they have had about 22000 cases for the first half of this year and 12 uh, measles related deaths have been recorded so that's ukraine and that's the worst one but then we have serbia which we haven't talked about a lot before either uh, or at all where the institute of public health Uh, reports that about 5600 people have been diagnosed with measles in the first six months of 2018 with 15 deaths and about 33% of the cases being hospitalized then we go to France where health officials have just reported uh, their second measles related death after, after having had about 2600 cases since November last year We know from before that Romania is bad with about 4000 cases and Italy and Greece is also uh, uh, around the thousands and then England has uh, also come up lately they have had about 650 cases uh, for the first half of the year and this is only laboratory confirmed cases there are other diagnoses as well but you know you don't 
haven't been necessarily been sent to a laboratory. Uh, most of these cases are in London and in the Midlands, and now latest in Bristol, they have seen rising numbers. Uh, according to health officials, um, vaccination rates for children is currently high, which is good. But as we mentioned also two weeks ago, I believe, for teenagers and young adults who were not vaccinated during their childhood due to, to anti-vax scares, they are being now urged to get vaccination before traveling into Europe. Uh, because as we know, Europe is now a place where measles is very common. Good news is that vaccinations are, are free in, in England for, for these uh, people and it's highly recommended and even pushed uh, and we have the same message coming from health officials in Ireland so all over the place we have we have we have problems and then uh, Jelena I think you've looked into what the situation is in Russia well I didn't actually look into it but uh, when I was uh, in Russia for the World Cup last week yeah. um, the radio was playing in one of the taxis we took and the lady was announcing as part of the news a reminder to everybody who's traveling outside of Russia into Europe to vaccinate because there is a massive outbreak of measles. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they go, have gone into actually also mentioning Canada and America, uh, gone quickly into the explaining the, about the anti-vaccination movement. But I've also quickly looked at the statistics in Russia and they only have 800 cases of measles, which, okay, admittedly, it's not nothing. But um, amongst 144 million, yeah. I think, really, we can say it's pretty much nothing. And so they've been really good at controlling their uh, the, the outbreak for now. But I'm pretty sure that there is compulsory vaccination, isn't it? it yes, yeah, absolutely. And um, now that people came for, from all over the world to see the World uh, Cup, mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see whether their vaccination rates will sustain. My, my question is, can we trust the numbers in Russia? Are they reliable? Or are they uh, keeping the lid on, on certain numbers? Are the people dying in secret? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In Siberia, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they send all the measles diseased people to Siberia. Could be. Yeah, that's, that's another form of eugenics, right? Yeah, wow. <laughs> True. But it was something that I've noted when I was there. Yeah, That okay. they well, do talk about it. You did some field research. You went to there, went there and to find out how, what the situation was. That's great. <laughs> so used to be, oh, I'm not you? going to Ukraine to find out how it is. No. Oh well, Are I mean, sure? in the best of times, you shouldn't be going to Ukraine. Never mind now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Jeez. be completely honest over here. And there we lost all the listeners from Ukraine. Have you ever been to Ukraine? Uh, no, and I have no particular desire. <laughs> A bit like I've never been to Iran or Iraq, and I don't want to go. You know, it's similar. Hmm. You know, I felt uh, very, very similar towards uh, Thailand and Cambodia. Yeah, and they fucking sent me there <laughs> but then you kind of liked it yeah especially cambodia but only because there was angkor and angkor is amazing it's phenomenal but thailand not so much okay thanks pontus i mean i mean no thanks to pontus yeah. <laughs> well no no thanks pontus for reporting but the yeah it's, yeah, it's really bad i wish is there it... was nothing to report on i do have though good news now so that's a good change of pace i guess okay good good, good good and um, this is from our friends at gso the guerrilla skepticism on wikipedia pe uh, people of which me and um and, and both 
were part of at some point. Mm-hmm. These are the people who edit Wikipedia pages um, and sort of educate the public this way. But um, Susan Gerbic, who's at the head of the whole enterprise, has recently made an update um, that there were some really big changes and they have received um, some donation last year from JREF um, that they will be uh, spending wisely and they have set up themselves as a non-profit. They had to follow various steps to do that. And they changed the name. They called now About Time. And actually, Andres, you'll know all about it because uh, <laughs> not so long ago, there was a tour called About Time Tour all, all around Europe where you and Susan and... Uh, yeah, um, the About Time Tour, yes. A couple of other people were, were traveling European cities and uh, giving talks and participating in Skeptics in the Pub events, etc. Yeah, I didn't realize that they're actually going to translate into this whole new organization. They now have a new website. We're going to link the website on our uh, website. We're going to link about time website mm-hmm. um, in the show notes. And um, they will be branching out into more of a science activism. So... Um, not just specifically editing Wikipedia pages, which is still remaining uh, one of the main focuses, but also the, one of the things that say in, in their mission statement uh, is something about training people to educate, promote science and scientific skepticism through crowd sources and uh, educational activities worldwide. And they do it via the conference attendances, lectures, videos, podcasts, interaction, social media and in person. So. It, it, it's bec- it became something much more bigger than just editing Wikipedia pages. So it's great stuff. Uh, I, I think congratulations are in order to Susan and the team. Yeah. Um, and uh, logical. I guess it's a logical next step, isn't it? I think it is. So, so they, they're going to use much of the um, funding they received to attend the conferences and speak at the conferences and engage with people. But also there'll be probably other initiatives to engage outside of this. Because skeptic community is... I find it sometimes a little bit limited, and so it'll be good if they can reach out of, of outside of the, this circle yeah. um, to people who may be a little bit on the fence or they have never heard of skepticism, etc. So we'll see how that develops, and we'll keep everybody posted. And um, again, we'll we'll link to the page. There'll be details, the contact details for Susan if anybody wants to get, to get in touch. I'm sure she's still looking for um, people wanting to volunteer on various projects. And because it's, because it's a worldwide uh, initiative, literally people from every, any country can get in touch. Just it doesn't matter. And more people who don't speak English better because I think yeah. that makes diversity better. But I think uh, Susan has been planning this for, for ages. I, Did I, you know I, when you were traveling? I do remember her talking a lot and going on and on and on about how she was going to to start a non-profit organization. Good for her. But uh, I had no idea that she would be uh, naming it about time. Um, I, I find it pretty cool. And congratulations, Susan. I'm I'm really happy for you for you and the group. And I still like to think of myself as part of the group, but I'm following it on Facebook and everything. I mean, the the close Facebook group that's called the Secret Cabal or whatever it's called. But still, it's great to see this develop this way. And uh, in the meantime, they are still really successful in editing the Wikipedia pages. I believe I recently heard. Remind me where I heard. Um, an interview with with Susan 
where she said, I, I believe it was 28 million page views since Correct, the start yeah. of it. Yeah, that's right. That is so mind-blowing. So she was blowing. talking about... Yeah, and it's, it's interesting amazing. because she, she was tracking the page views for the 654 pages that they've created. So this is the pages created by the editors. Yeah. By the 130 people who edit for her at the moment. So well done. It's, it's really great. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, the next item that I'd like to talk about is both positive and very sad. The sad part, let me start with the sad part. The sad part is that there was this small kid, not even a kid, he was a baby. He, his name was Adam. And unfortunately, he had such a weak immune system that after the, um, the BCG vaccine, it's um, uh, um, administered to newborns. Yep. And it prevents very well. It has a great effect in preventing miliary TB and uh, TB meningitis. So those are not the pulmonary uh, tuberculosis branches. But still, it's very important. It's, it's given to all newborns. But the problem is that occasionally, I mean, in very, very, very small percentages of the population, there is someone, there is a, a, a child whose uh, system is not ready for it and it, it, it provokes a very severe reaction. Mm. And this is what happened to Adam. And uh, at first it started with uh, the, the glandular growing out of control and uh, then it, it uh, turned out that... Um, he actually started showing the symptoms of uh, of getting ill uh, by the, the vaccination, the vaccine. And um, finally, when um, they did um, the autopsy, the reason given there was uh, a non-specifically diagnosed immunodeficiency. But, of course, there is an ongoing movement even in Hungary, against vaccinations. And the anti-vax movement started to use his example yeah. against vaccination. But here comes the great, really uplifting part that really moved me when I first heard about it. The mother, her name is Tunde, and she posted on Facebook a couple of sentences only. She says, there is an ongoing anti-vaccination movement in the world of internet and more and more it happens that the case of my son my late son is brought up as an example against vaccination please don't do that i'd like to write down and i'd like to make it clear that even though my son was the victim of the vaccine it was not because of the vaccine itself. It was because of his inability, his body's and immune system's inability to deal with it. And I strongly support vaccination. And please make the good choice, make the responsible choice and vaccinate your kids because it saves people's lives. Brilliant. How strong do you have to be to do that? Yeah, that that's amazing. Brilliant story. That's really, really it amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. She's really, wow. really great. Yeah. Unfortunately, people will not, uh, people who are anti-vax will not listen to this. They will not take it, yeah. you know, either she's bought or it's fake or blah, blah, blah. So it, the question is if it will do any good. But I think it's still very strong of her to do that. And, and yeah, and she goes on about saying that she was shaken. Oh, of course she was. Because... Yes. 
the loss of her child was to something, an illness caused by the vaccine, hmm. probably. But uh, she still could get to the point of realizing what was what. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's go to Germany. Uh, we have heard this on the podcast. I think listeners have heard this on the podcast for, for some times that there's something called Heilpraktiker in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. That's, that's some sort of a, uh, it's not a doctor, it's some sort of a healer, some sort of, uh, not licensed, but it's sort of a profession where you can go and you can treat, uh, they can treat uh, fractures. Um, uh, give injections and even manufacture certain medicines, even though they're not being a doctor. And our friend uh, Edzard Ernst has been a critic of this for in like decades. How how can we allow that in Germany? But now the health ministers of all the German counties have decided uh, that they will start reforming the profession of of Heilpraktiker. Because there's neither a mandatory agreement for the education of the Heilpraktiker or there is not a uniform regulation of the profession at all. So now a working group will be formed to investigate and produce a report within a year. So it will take a while, but maybe, maybe, maybe we are finally seeing the first uh, step to eliminate this uh, pseudo uh, thing like that is the Heilpraktika in, in Germany. And I believe it's big. I think it's very uh, common and very well used by people who feel that this is a... Nothing good ever comes with the word Heil anyway. <laughs> that is uh, correct. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's my two pence. <laughs> yeah. Good contribution to the new yeah. segment there. Yeah. And it has to and this this decision has to be made by politicians, right? So the politicians have to have the right information and everything and and well, the right drive to make the right decision. Yeah. So, but uh, there are other countries where it happens. Aren't there? They did make the right decision in Belfast, Ireland. Um, And in this instance, the Court of Appeal in Belfast has ruled that the humanist celebrants um, must be registered by the state as able to perform legal marriages for couples. Good. So, great victory for the humanists. And I think it's been pushed by Laura Lacolle. And she's a model and public speaker, and Yunan O'Kane. So they they are the couple who had the first uh, humanist um, wedding in in Belfast, and they've been campaigning for two over two years. So they're obviously highly high profile couple, celebrity couple. Um, I guess it has to start somewhere. I believe the gay marriage was legalized after Elton John because of Elton John case. So you know. You gotta stand somewhere, and um, everybody else will follow. So um, hopefully, that will lead to legalization of humanist weddings uh, across the um, uh, UK, because actually it's not yet legalized um, in England. And we will await patiently, and um, I'm sure this day is not far. But uh, for now, congratulations to Northern Ireland. Staying with our positive news. I have to say that um, Facebook is not always a bad agent. So this time, um, six Hungarian fake news pages have been deleted by Facebook 
uh, pr they probably got re reported enough times for Facebook to consider getting rid of them, and uh, they did. And uh, among them, there is the Club of Mesmeration, uh, the Blog of Women, uh, the Blog of Hungarians, the C Citizen of the World, and uh, the Society of People Over 40, and the last one is called the tree of knowledge. <laughs> the tree of knowledge. The problem is that they are—they were both uh, known for spreading a lot of fake news, and uh, probably what triggered them, uh, some of them uh, to be deleted was a recent event when um, a Hungarian research scientist's name was was used very frequently frequently by them, and um, they illustrated their fake news with his photos and name. Um, and uh, he got re uh, so upset about that that he actually deleted his profile uh, from Facebook, but it got reported uh, on many occasions, and that could be the one of the reasons why uh, the decision of deletion uh, was made. But um, unfortunately, uh, even though these were... Um, we got rid of these. Uh, new ones have sprung up on uh, the, the ashes of these. So obviously, because it was a network previously, uh, it still is a network. So it really was just a matter of time that uh, the new ones started to emerge. So mm -hmm. there was a little bit of a hiatus in their activities because of Facebook. Thanks very much. But we have to be on the lookout for them and their fake news. Okay, so we, let's go to the UK, where we have a, a, some sort of... I am. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, if you go to the UK, Andras, uh, please be aware that there's a risk of antibiotic-resistant bacter bacteria, not just in the UK, but in the world. Uh, and uh, due to the, uh, this is due to the heavy use of different kinds of penicillin and other antibiotics, and that, that makes it... You know, there's a danger that uh, we will run out of ways to treat bacterial infections the way we take for granted today. So everybody needs to help to find new ways. Or should they? <laughs> because maybe not everybody needs to offer their services uh, as a response to an inquiry for the, from the, uh, the Common Select Committee on Health and Social Care the UK Society of Homeopaths has taken it upon themselves to find a solution to this problem. Uh, and they've made an announcement to all of their members to submit their evidence for how homeopathy can be used, uh, no, can't be, to, uh, as an antibacterial alternative. Uh, and uh, we at the ESP are not holding our breath for this challenge. Homeopathy is a ma is magical thinking that it predates science-based medicine and it doesn't contain any active substance, substance and further has never been proved to work for anything in rigorous tests. So, yeah. so uh, even though they scramble to to find all the evidence they 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 want I'm I'm afraid that the homeopaths of the UK will not solve this problem. Mm. So you know how we mentioned the Darwin Award? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that might fall into that category when people start using that for uh. treating bacteria. 
you know which one which one would be worthy of a Darwin award uh the person who actually seeks out the help of a homeopath or a homeopath exactly i mean homeopaths do not only treat themselves they treat other people as well oh no no the person who seeks out the help of homeopath in this instance yeah but i consider them more of victims than uh than stupid idiots so yeah um i mean it's uh, not necessarily somebody's yeah. fault okay. well, that they don't know that homeopathy is bogus yeah but it's a, it's a, it's a very it's a real uh, real big issue that that's now looming over um, uh, modern medicine with with uh, antibiotic resistance yes and it's a real crisis so i think um we're going to see the effect on it. You know what? If they come up with a homeopathic uh, solution to this problem that actually works, mm. I will be the first one to congratulate them. So and, would I. Uh, so would yeah, I. So would we I. need the, a solution to this. Um, uh, unfortunately, the solutions, mm. pun intended, that they uh, have to offer <laughs> are too, <laughs> are not going to help. <laughs> too diluted. <laughs> Their solution is too diluted. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> It seems like only yesterday we have mentioned John Maddox Prize. It's an uh, annual award that um, is uh-huh. given to everybody for work to promote sound science and evidence on a matter of public interest facing difficulty or hostility. And here we go again. That's a new year, new nominations. Uh, nominations are open for 2018. Um, and I believe they have been all open for uh, a while. And the closing date for this nomination for this year is Monday, 13th of August. So there's still a couple of months to go. The winner will receive £3,000 and an announcement uh, is published in a Nature magazine. Uh, and the, uh, the award will be presented at the reception in November. So we will link to a website where uh, people can nominate and they'll give you various things, information on eligibility and nomination uh, process, um, how the evaluation and judging uh, is happening. uh, And uh, you can uh, even nominate anybody you know who promoted science and uh, have has been punished or suffered due to, to, to doing so. Um, science and critical thinking. So um, here we go, uh, dear listeners. If you know anybody, uh, go onto the website. Um, it's uh, it, We're going to be linking it to sense, uh, about science.org website where the nominations are and nominate someone worthy. It's a great award. Okay. And to finish the news items with, uh, I'd like to mention again uh, a very cool event that I'm really looking forward to. That is Cheek Up Fest 2018, the Festival of Science and Curiosity. And this year it has a pretty cool, a very cool logo. Uh, it's a double logo, two faces um, with their backs uh, towards each other. One of them is Sherlock Holmes and the other one is Pinocchio. <laughs> ah, okay. Both fictional characters, please know. Yes, but one of them is an investigator <laughs> and the other one is a liar, right? So uh, No, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. No, it's it's, it's, so, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting it's an interesting um it's a clever concept. Yeah, really cool. Yeah. Check it out. Uh um, I'll provide you with the link. And uh it says science, truth and lies 
uh, within our everyday lives. Sorry, I was um, mm. doing the translation from Italian uh, on the fly. Uh. But uh, I'm, I really have the intention to go and attend that. It's uh, going to take place in Padova between the 14th and the 16th of September. So anyone who has a good understanding of Italian is welcome to come. Of course, the names appearing are, uh, in the list of speakers are, are um, very, very interesting uh, people. Like Piero Angela, of course, our great and wonderful, amazing friend, uh, Massimo Polidoro. But somewhat interestingly and somewhat surprisingly, there are two names from the UK... Uh, who the both of which are very familiar to our audience. I'm pretty sure about that. Is it Marsh? Is he no, coming? one oh, of okay. them is Richard Wiseman. Ah, uh, Richard Wiseman. Ooh, Richard, yeah. Uh, there's going to be some, some really good psychology going on there. And the other one, here she's Caroline Watt. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, but uh, the the international community possibly know another name that, that is on the list. That's Massimo Pellucci. Uh-huh. From New York, right? From New York, but he's Italian. Yeah. And I really love his accent. <laughs> okay. Um, so go there for the accent. No, no, no. I'm going there for, for the for entertainment. Richard Wiseman. <laughs> and not, not only Richard Wiseman. I'm going there because Chick Up Fest 2018 is going to be amazing. And speaking about Massimo Polidoro, it was recently announced that he will also be at QED. Oh, really? Yes. So you can go there as well. Nice. And QED, as of you, you know, is. Uh, um, our favorite conference or one of our favorite conferences it'll be in october and uh, it'll be great to see him and the skeptics guide to the universe and george rob and a lot of other great people i'm pretty sure this qed will just blow our mind yeah <laughs> it'll be the best qed uh, for the rest of this decade i'm sure i think it's the last qed yes no the last last for the decade yeah it is so that this is why he dared say that Okay, cool. I think enough of uh, of the news items because we have a lot more to talk about still, even though we're uh, well into this show. So, Pontus, the recently introduced segment is up. Uh, that is called Pontus Pokes the Pope. Yes, Pontus Pokes the Pope. And I have good news for everyone. That's upon time. In this show, I think, uh, the, the Pope uh, has the solution to the crisis of the Middle East. <gasps> what? Really? Finally. Finally. We w- wait. Nobody could think of one and Pope came up with yep. one. Finally. <gasps> Fucking marvelous. Come on. Well, our Pope has to be marvelous, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has taken an ecumenical peace initiative in which he will travel to Bari, which is in the south of Italy. Mm-hmm. So wh- why are you going there to solve the crisis in the Middle East? I don't know. What does it have to do with it? Yeah. <laughs> we have no idea why, why he's going pick that place but there it's safe that's why yeah <laughs> exactly probably better you know you know they have a good hotel there or something <laughs> but there he and the others uh, who, who will come uh, will quote live a day of prayer and reflect on the increasingly dam- dramatic situation of that region and that region means uh, the uh, the middle east so I picture them sitting around a nice beach in the south of Italy, thinking about how terrible it must be in the Middle East. This is serious. Yeah, yeah. It said that there will be reflection and prayer <laughs> for the suffering Christians of the Middle East. So hang on, hang on. Did you catch that? 
the Christians of the Middle East. Of course, of course. So nothing for the Palestinians. Oh, hang on. Nope, no. Nope, fuck the Palestinians. How about the Jews, perhaps? No, no, Me. just the Christians. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Pope goes on to say, and I quote him, with one voice, we will implore peace upon you, end quote. Because that's how you achieve real progress in the world, with of magical course, yeah. thinking yeah. and yeah. hoping that the problem goes away, you know, as... Hang on, praying. hang on. If you pray to the God of the Old Testament, mm. that can be used for all three branches. Could be. Could be. Uh, I, I have no idea. I solved the crisis of the Middle East. I just solved it. Yeah, but if you... Pray to the God of the Old Testament. But, That's it. But if you do that and you only mention the Christians, mm -hmm. what happens? You're fucked. I don't know. Yeah, we're fucked. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, this is what... I mean... <laughs> The Pope has a very good reputation for being a Pope. <laughs> what else? He what else does he do? <laughs> almost well about the gays, and he he does a lot of things, and you know, and I'm the only one. I feel that that sees that it's just you know magical thinking, pointless gestures. He's not doing anything good. So no, there are not. no pointless gestures. He has a pointy hand. And then going to one of the most beautiful <laughs> places in the world and contemplating yeah. the most horrific uh, things that are happening on the other side of the world. How's that going to yeah. help anyone, idiot? I don't know. He's basically going to a beach and he's going to sit there in the shadow having a martini or something and think about the problem and pray to the God that he believes in to fix the thing. And... Oh, it will not achieve anything. <laughs> so, nope. as I tend to say, the Pope is wrong and he needs to be poked. Poor Francis. Mm. Just poked. just that, Francis. Have I told mm. you about my experience in, in uh, Italy? Where well, did you I, have I the ESP experience? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I... Uh. Oh, I did have the ESP experience in uh, in Italy. We, we recorded once when I was in Italy, but, oh, but uh, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. But uh, once I came across this book in Italy. I don't know what the title was, but the author was Francis. That's mm -hmm. it, Francis. And that's when I realized, oh my god, <laughs> that was Pope Francis. Yeah, probably was because with last names. <laughs> yeah. I downloaded the Just Bible Francis. on my Kindle and it said author God. <laughs> <laughs> no way! I don't know why it, did, it did. It did. It's it did. True. All right. Yeah. So there we go. Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Any really wrong items to um, to talk about? Yes, I do. Let's do that. Yeah. All right, so really wrong for, for this week. The story I want to bring up uh, is uh, because it is such a perfect example of what we talked about last week with the, the science reporter uh, Amina Mansour. So we talked um, about different things, but we also mentioned chronic Lyme disease and how it's not a, a recognized diagnosis because as far as science is concerned you can't it's not a thing it's not the disease well the daily mail has a long article about this um it's about a once promising young swimmer called sophie ward who visited china at the age of 14 in 2008 so that's 10 years ago among other things uh, uh, she got the opportunity to pet 
uh, a panda bear. Uh, I, I assume it was not a wild one, it was probably one in the zoo. After that, she got a fever and she was cured by antibiotics in a, in a couple of days. And she went home and according to her own words, she, quote, felt absolutely fine for a number of years. Mm-hmm. However, uh, four years later, she developed uh, problems like fatigue, joint pains and muscle pains, which uh, was something that eventually forced her to give up her, her promising swimming career. After first being told that she may have chronic fatigue syndrome, an unnamed, quote, expert uh, later diagnosed it with chronic Lyme disease. And she is now convinced that she must have gotten a tick bite when petting that panda bear 10 years ago. But she also admits that no tick bite was ever noticed at the time. But it's still proof that she has chronic Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect example of the dilemma that we talked about with Amina last week, because she has a compelling story. She does. She is obviously not well. She had to give up her career, so she has all the emotions on her side, and I don't doubt that she's sick at all. But to for the Daily Mail to just announce that she has chronic Lyme disease based on a panda incident four years before she even felt sick and uh, there were never any recording of a of a tick bite it's just crazy but it's reported by the daily mail as uh, yes this is chronic lyme disease and it just spreads the 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 notion among the public that uh, this is a thing it's for a reason that it's called the daily fail yep the daily I mean, fail commonly referred to <laughs> yeah but it's a it's a big article and i'm sure people will why would you if you didn't have any other information why would you doubt this mm. it, yeah, yeah. It sounds very plausible it sounds like a you know makes a lot of sense yeah but as I said, this is what we talked about, uh, the, the dilemma with, uh, you know, a serious reporter would not have uh, reported it like this. Mm-hmm. But it, then it's a Daily Mail. They have a huge uh, base of readers and, uh, you know, it's just terrible. Yeah, I think their motto should be facts don't matter. Yeah, <laughs> and it, I, I'm sure it doesn't because what, what matters to them is a good story in quotation marks and uh this is a good story because it has all the the emotions it's the it's a poor girl who has a sickness who, who was you know scheduled to be maybe you know an olympic uh, a swimmer at some point and you know she was very promising and she became sick and then you know you you think that there's an imaginary tick on a on a panda bear like four years earlier that that is the thing and then you promote this idea that there is chronic Lyme disease. So for spreading unfounded information and giving the public the impression that chronic Lyme disease is a legitimate uh, diagnosis, the Daily Mail or the Daily Fail gets today's prize for being really wrong. Well, a Lyme disease is a thing, but chronic Lyme disease seems to be exactly. out of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cro- cro- yeah it's not recognized <clears throat> by the medical profession. No. 
chronic Lyme disease is the idea that even though you have received your antibiotics and you can no longer find any trace of the disease, uh, the Lyme disease in your body, you still have some symptoms. Yeah, mm -hmm. some some symptoms, and uh, unfortunately, also what's uh, being promoted by quacks is that you can you can treat this by taking huge amounts of antibiotics uh, you know even to the point where the antibiotics may do serious harm to you yeah yeah all right thanks very much Pontus mm -hmm. especially for educating us thanks <laughs> so I think this has been going on long enough for us to to conclude <laughs> the episode and uh, thanks to our listeners for for enduring this um but i'd like us to finish with a beautiful quote brought about by yelena i have a quote from publius carnelius tacitus there's a lot of uses mm -hmm. he was a senator and historian of the roman empire uh, he said, truth is confirmed by inspection and delay, and falsehood by haste and uncertainty. Take your time to decide. Don't rush. Wow. Don't rush. Yep. I think he should have added, don't rush and be prepared to change your mind. Mm -hmm. Because even if you take your time, you can still be wrong, and then you should reconsider when new facts come to light. Yeah. yeah. Do you know Pompeii? Yeah, I've been and, there uh, several times. Yep, mm. and the volcano um, Vesuvius. Vesuvius. Mm. So it was Tacitus who got the letters from uh, Pliny the Younger. So he was he was a well known guy, and he was he was a very well known historian. He uh, he really did some 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 important work on the first emperors, and uh, and uh, yeah. So he was the one that uh, that received the letters that were the first accounts and the most important accounts of how the the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in uh, seventy nine mm. A.D. happened. I, you know, I I'm very fascinated by by his history, and uh, I have uh, you know it's it's fantastic that we still have letters or at least copies of letters exactly. that were written like 2000 years ago and exactly. we can we can almost feel how it was to be there when it happened it, it's yeah. I, to me it's great and it was all on papyrus mm -hmm. and uh really cool that that material mm -hmm. uh survived till today mm -hmm. for everyone to read all right that's enough of a history lesson <laughs> And thanks very much for allowing me to join you guys today, Yelena and Pontus. Yeah, great to have you back, Andras. I uh, hope I can stay around for long. And uh, thanks to our listeners for, for tuning in. And until next week, goodbye, everybody. Paka, paka. Goodbye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats 
to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Kisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. I just realized we could we, we could call that happy happy slappy. <laughs> Yala's hitting her husband. I don't remember the intro. <laughs> Been away for a while, have you? Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the. <laughs> hey. I've got. Um... I hope you're having a good day. Who's that, Cortana oh, thank you, Alexa. or Alexa? I hope Alexa. you're fucking having a good day yourself. <laughs> She's just like listening to what we're saying. Anyway, um, you probably won't t- talk to you at all except for when you're doing the podcast. <laughs> okay, so yeah. immunodeficiency. Immunodeficiency. Oh, sorry. Helvete, vad det tar tid. Vilket jävla skit.